We are concluding our series this morning on God's nature. We have covered mercy, grace, and now we cover love. As always, you have sermon notes if you want to follow along with those. To be loved is one of the deepest human needs, one of the deepest things a human being has. Does anyone love me? We, we ask that question from the very beginning of our life all the way to the very end. And sometimes for some people, at late at night, in the middle of the night, their soul cries out, am I loved? If people really knew me, would they love me? This question resounds in our soul, and it drives some people to great achievements. They try to achieve the world so that they will be loved. For other people, the question is too hard to bear, and so they retreat into a shell. As human beings, we desperately need, we desperately want to know that we are loved. But the problem is this. The problem is we often confuse the fact of being loved by another and our feeling of being loved. We want the assurance that we are loved, and we don't look at it from somebody who said they love us. We often look to our feelings that we are loved. And thus, if we don't feel like it, we lack that assurance. And so we confuse the fact of being loved with our feelings of being loved. And we do the same thing with God. Many people are doubtful that God loves them because they don't feel loved by God. And thus the nagging questions of doubt keep at them day after day, week after week. I'm not worthy enough to be loved by God. Does God the Father love me even though I have sinned? Am I saved because I don't feel very worthy about being saved today? And thus they vacillate back and forth. This is why I think, by the way, many charismatic churches, churches that might just focus on the feelings are very popular because people are chasing that feeling of love. They think, if I can only have that mountaintop experience of love, then I will know for sure that God loves me. And they keep chasing that day after day after day, week after week. I know that this is hard for many people because I had a dear family member who could never actually just trust that God loved him. And he kept praying for that. And thus he never had assurance of salvation. So today, this morning, this is all about God's love. And it is about the assurance of God's love for you. This morning we are going to take a look at God is for us in word and deed God in Christ intercedes, and God's love supersedes. So we are going to begin with, God is for us in word. 
And we begin with our reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? By saying, what shall we say against, say to these things? Paul isn't just summarizing chapter 8. He's basically summarizing all of what has been written beforehand. And he has been writing again and again and again about how though we have sinned, God's grace, God's love, God's grace, he is greater than our sin. In Romans chapter 8, uh, chapter 5, starting with verse 15, I'm just going to summarize a little bit. He says, therefore, as Adam has sinned and has trespassed, so Christ and his righteousness gives us life. As one man was disobedient, Christ was obedient. As the law came and sin increased because people now knew the law. He says this, this is from verse 20. Grace abounded all the more. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Grace abounded all the more. And verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, even though Adam sinned, and from that sin, all of us sin. And what is the wages of sin? It is death. And so even though death reigned and sin reigned, in Christ, the righteous one, the one who was obedient, the one who died for us, and in him and his righteousness we have life, grace abounded even more. And thus the love of God abounded more. You see, these words should give us great, great comfort. And what we find in this, if God is for us, that little phrase, God is for us. That's what I want you to focus on. God is for you. Put your name in there. God is for you in Christ Jesus. I came across uh, an account fellow by the name of Keith Hartzell from Wheaton, Illinois. Keith was driving around with his friend. They were in Southern California. And they were driving around, and Keith noticed on his friend's phone, it had this as the screen lock. Pro nobis, or pro nobis, depending on how you want to pronounce your Latin. And he was like, that's a really odd screen lock, isn't it? Pro nobis. And so he said, What's that mean? And his friend said, for us. It means God is for us. And as his friend said that, he started to choke up. And and, uh, Keith thought this was really strange. You're choking up over some Latin words. But the friend said that he had gone through a very, very deep personal time of pain and tribulation And he didn't think God was for him. You see, his parents had divorced, and it was a very extremely painful split. And he went through a season where he just didn't think God was for him at all. But those two words, for us, really struck him. 
And when he knew that Christ had died for him, he was made new. He had life again. This is the love of God. God's love for you is constant throughout. It does not change according to the winds of your feelings or the winds of culture. Let me give you another example. So Charles Spurgeon, I talked about him, the Prince of Preachers. He was out in the English countryside one day walking along with a friend, and they saw a weather vane. And on the top of the weather vane, it said, God is love. And Charles Spurgeon talked to his friend. He said, I don't like that. I think that's an inappropriate sign. Because God's love is constant. It does not change with the wind. And his friend said, no, Charles, I think you misunderstand. You see, that sign is indicating the truth. It says, regardless, regardless of which way the wind blows, God is love. Regardless of the circumstances in in your life, God is for you. God is love. See, God is for us in word, and God is for us in deed. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, we sometimes hear those words again and again, He who did not spare his son. And those words kind of just slide on by as if they don't mean much for us anymore. But actually, if we let Scripture interpret Scripture, this goes back to the reading from Genesis. Do you remember the reading we had from Genesis? Abraham was to sacrifice his son Isaac, right? Now, he was told that the Lord would provide a lamb. And we all, we read that as an account, kind of like a historical thing. But put yourself in a moment of Abraham. Put yourself in the moment of Isaac. There to be sacrificed. Could you do that to your own child? Would you trust God enough that he would provide no matter what? This is hard for us to comprehend. It's hard for us to get the grasp of it. God did not spare his own son. Let me give you an example here. This is uh, from a story by Dennis Hensley. So you've seen railroad bridges before where they are, um, they're the, the switch bridge where they actually can go parallel with the river. So ships, boats can go on both sides. Well, one time there was a man And he was the switch operator. Now, this one shows the switch on top of the house, but it was actually on the side. And for most of the day, the bridge would be parallel with the river, so the ships, the boats could go back and forth. But there were certain times of the day when the trains would come through, and it was the operator's job then to go into that particular shack and pull the lever and make sure that the bridge then went across the river. And he also had to make sure that it was locked properly because if it was not locked properly, especially on the older bridges, it would wobble and the train literally could then crash into the river. 
So one day, as it happened, it was at dusk. It was the last train of the day that was going to be coming. And this last train was always a passenger train, and it was full of people. So as he saw the train approaching, as was his job on a normal day, he went down to the shack, and he pulled the lever. But this time, the bridge did not lock. And there was another lever on the other side of the bridge, and he had to go to that one, because if he did not lock the bridge properly, the train would crash. So he went to the other side, and with all of his strength, he pulled the lever. And as he was holding the lever, he heard an awful sound. It was his four-year-old son on the other side who said, Daddy, where are you? And he wanted to yell to the son because the son was now crossing the bridge and he wanted him to yell to go back, but he knew that his little legs couldn't get him there fast enough. And the train was coming and the train was coming and he was holding the lever and he knew if he let the lever go to save his son, the train would crash. And so at that moment, he had to make a decision and he did make the decision. And as the train went by and the sun was hit and thrown in the river, all the people on the train simply just looked at that man as if nothing had happened. And then the man had to go home and tell his wife the worst thing possible. Do you understand in a greater degree, that that father did not spare his son. Our heavenly father did not spare his son. He let him be crucified so that you and I may live. And we, like many people on the train, just go by as if nothing happened. He did not spare his son. You know that verse, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, and we say that verse, and it just gives us comfort. But do you know what's behind that verse? God did not spare his son. If we were actually to take a look at some of the meaning of that verse, it would be like this. For God so deeply, intensely, and marvelously loved the world that he spared not his son in order that you may have everlasting life. God did this because of his great love for you. He did this not because of how you feel, not because of how you are worthwhile, because he loved you. And he cares for you. God is sovereign in all of this. And, and then Paul, in verse 33, he says, Who shall bring charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He says, if God is for us, who could be against us? 
Who can even bring charges against us if God has done this for you in Christ Jesus? See, when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you receive him, you repent, you've turned from him, you turn to Christ Jesus. In that moment, for the sake of the Son, of the Father, for the sake of the Son, whom he did not spare, for the sake of Jesus, God declares you clean. You are justified in his sight. We did this last week. In Christ Jesus, you are washed clean. You are a precious child of God. That is God's mercy. That is God's grace. That is God's love for you. So, God is for us in word and deed. God in Christ intercedes. Verse 34 through 36. Who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And as it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul again goes back to this question, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now he says, well, who can condemn us? Christ Jesus died for us. He was raised for us. Who could condemn us because of who Christ is? And not only that, Christ is interceding for us on our behalf. It says this in Hebrews chapter 7. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost to those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Who else would you want as your intercessor? If you have a strained relationship, who would you want in, on earth to help you with that relationship? Well, you could get some wonderful mediator, some wonderful counselor, but there is the wonderful counselor, the mediator, the intercessor who is Christ Jesus. And he thus is for us in heaven. And it does not matter your circumstance. He is for us, as Paul says, whether it is tribulation or distress or persecution, so tribulation, outside force, distress, and inside, inside feeling of that tribulation or persecution, or if you are in famine, if you are in hunger, or you do not have clothing, or you are in danger, or you are under the point of the sword, which would be death. Can you stand knowing that he is for you no matter what? In all those circumstances? Let me give you an exam example. There's a pastor, Saeed Abedini. Saeed, uh, pastor Saeed is an American who was a former Muslim, and he converted to Christianity in 2000. In 2012, he was imprisoned in Iran. Iranian jails are not good. There is torture, and he was tortured. So, tribulations, distress, persecution, 
Now, you would think that would break someone, wouldn't you? But I want you to read, I want to read a letter that he wrote to his son for his seventh birthday. And he wrote this while he was in prison. To my dear beloved son, Jacob, I saw your beautiful birthday invitation that you had made me, and I know how much you want me to be there on your birthday. Daddy loves you so much. I long to be there for your birthday and to make this reunion happen, but my chains are keeping me from you. I want you to know that although I might not be there, and you might feel my absence, there is one who always is. One who is always there with you and who can meet all of your needs under any condition. I might not be there for your birthday, and that breaks my heart as your father. But I know the one who is there for your birthday, who is there for you and cares for you more than anyone could imagine. He is there, and he is with you, and his name is I am who I am. I am who I am. It means that God is with you in every situation that you're going through. This is the name that God introduced himself when meeting with Moses in the burning bush, when God's people were crying out to him and were feeling his absence. Today, there are many people around the world who are experiencing the same things that, God, that the people of God were experiencing and that you are experiencing. They are crying out to God and might not be feeling his presence. They're wondering, where is God in all of this? But I want you to remember that despite what you feel, he is always there with you. Even though I am not there with you, I am is there with you. God, God who came in human flesh in Jesus Christ all the way from heaven to earth, to give us this gift of salvation by being crucified on the cross for the punishment of our son. So on this special day, I want you to receive this gift of salvation. Receive Jesus, just as you have invited me to your birthday. So a happy birthday to my big boy and to my hero, Jacob Cyrus Abedini. Thank you for standing strong with me in this battle for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your proud dad, Saeed. In spite of all the suffering he went through, in spite of the tribulation, the distress, the sword, Pastor Saeed didn't just endure, because what does it say from our reading? It says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We just don't endure, but we are more than conquerors, not from our own, but what does it say? Through him who, what? Loved us. God is for us in word and deed, God in Christ Jesus intercedes, and God's love in Christ supersedes. And now Paul writes this. Paul writes this, For I am sure that neither life, death nor life, nor angels, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
This is sublime poetry that he writes here. He says, for I am sure. He says, based on everything that has come, everything that I've written, I am certain. There is no doubt that God loves me in Christ Jesus. And he starts off with this, that neither death nor life. Do you remember our song? Our song that we sang in the very beginning? If you've got your bulletin, turn to the very first page in your bulletin. What wondrous love is this? It has this, the last one. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be. And through eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And through eternity, I'll sing on. This is what Paul is writing about here. He says, not even death will separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not death, not angels, none of the angels, none of the rulers, nothing. Read that. Is there anything in creation that would separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And the answer is no. So if you've got your sermon notes, it says this. At the very bottom, can you write your name in here? It says, I am sure that nothing can separate, and put your name in there, that nothing can separate I'm going to put my name in there. I'm sure that nothing can separate Clayton from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can you put your name in there? You should, because that is the promise. In Christ Jesus, nothing separates you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And to that, we give praise. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. God's peace and joy in Christ Jesus be with you.